You hear that sound? What was that, a Fresca tab? Pepsi free? I've made the kind of slightly bad decision of getting an assortment of nuts to eat with my drink, which probably is going to be quite noisy for the listener. Well, we'll just now, get a few cashews in now and then. I feel like we really are in a jazz bar. I should cook it. I've got some. Uh, <laughs> for the authentic sound yeah. as well as feel. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, Intro, please. Hang on. Just two more cashews. Yes. And a cranberry. Okay, uh, welcome everyone. This is episode 12 of Tokyo Jazz Joints. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, personally, I'm in a roasting hot Dublin, would you believe? Roasting hot, nearly over 20 degrees. Hardly believe it. James, you've been a bit quiet this week. What's the crack? Well, I could say it's because I was really concentrating very hard on some of my day job work projects, but actually it was more that I have finally launched an online radio station. Um, not going to be plugging any alcoholic products tonight, and we can get to that later, but um, if you're interested in the kind of music that you would hear in a Japanese jazz bar, you will love to go to Mixcloud.com and check out my new online channel called KOL Radio. That's K.O.L radio the ok jazz podcast is there the sound journey series with dj otsuka is there and there are going to be many many guest selectors coming up including i have to give the audience a little bit of excitement here you yourself dj philip arneal what is your dj name philip i never no, called really? that actually yeah what what is that well uh if anyone's listening has got any suggestions for a good dj name i used to go by the dapper mr p when i was djing swing music back in tokyo so Maybe I'll revive that name for a bit, although I'm a lot less dapper than I used to be, but that's uh, blame blame a combination of the lockdown in Dublin on that. Um, it's funny you mentioned not having a drink because, James, I decided to join you this week. I am having a cool can of um, a fairly standard cider called Orchard Thieves, but uh, other ciders are available, uh, unless, of course, they want to sponsor us, in which case we'll, we'll pretend that's the only one. Uh, it's only 12.30, so a bit early, but uh, it is absolutely beautiful outside in Dublin sun is splitting the stones it's 21 degrees i'm upstairs in my bedroom uh, trapped with the window shut because there's so many cars these days uh to record the podcast but we all have to make sacrifices for our art don't we we certainly do we certainly do and uh, i think it's funny because we did sacrifice uh, uh, quite a bit of our time trying to get to a couple of these joints uh, that we're going to speak to tonight this is part three of our uh, port in the storm series right down in yokosuka yep. and yokohama yeah and we're um, staying in yokohama this week right we certainly are staying there, and uh, we're going to be staying. We mentioned on the last couple shows um, how the port side, one of the port side areas of Yokohama, called Noge, where a lot of you know small Japanese taverns, jazz bars, and other snack type places are located. Well, right, just a short walk from there is a is a couple small alleyways that has its own name for reasons that are unknown. It's called Yoshidacho. And um, I would say even before I moved to Yokohama seven years ago, uh, I'd heard of the, the, the following place called Little John. Um, it's a second floor uh, jazz bar. I had been told about it because right across from Little John is the Antenna America American Beer Shop. They 
stock craft beer. They've got a little drinking area. So obviously I've been there a few times. And um, Little John, I always saw the sign and every time I went by, uh, it was closed. So I just assumed that it was one of these sort of, you know, empty shops, the kind of which you see all around Japan, you know, where people just close up shop, but they leave everything behind because they're in debt or there's no one to take over these old buildings, you know. So I never gave it a final thought until one day somebody contacted me on Twitter and said, no, 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 Little John is still open. You know, they'd heard me mention it on one of my shows. And then, Philip, once you and I started the project when we were down in Yokohama, I think was it twice or three times we went by and we couldn't get in? Yeah, I mean, I was looking through my phone. I, I know I have a sort of disproportionately large collection of signs from Little John. <laughs> I think one of the reasons is because we went so many times. So I've got <laughs> the two signs that you can see on the website, which, by the way, James, I know you're... You'll love this with your technological prowess, but I purchased an SSL certificate for the website this week, finally. Uh, so I can finally dispense with the www, which obviously was causing me so many difficulties with pronunciation. And now just tokyojazzjoints.com is going to take you straight there. Perfectly secure site, not going to have any issues or weird warnings coming up, uh, whatever your browser is. So if you do want to look at the photographs of the places we're talking about this week, tokyojazzjoints.com, that's the stopping off point. And we're down in the regions this week. So if you go in by alphabetical order into the regions tabs, you can find Little John. And I think actually it was May initially when we went, which again, those of you who have listened to other podcasts will know, it's only a couple of months after we started the project. So uh, it was pretty high up on the list in terms of places to visit. But then uh, we failed on that occasion to get in. And you can see from the photograph around Little John that, you know, it's pretty... It's a pretty lively area. Everything else around it seems to be open. Mm. Uh, then, based on my phone, anyway, and the geotagging, when we go back uh, again is January of the following year. And then I'm fairly certain the third time uh, was a charm because we got in around about May of 2016. Well, you, um, you're forgetting the, the, the shop underneath Little John, okay? Uh, we actually, it's a, it's a tonkatsu place. It's a, you know, pork bone ramen place. And uh, we actually went in to ask remember we were like do That's you know right. what's going on upstairs is the owner there and their attitude was particularly unhelpful you know it was it was as if it was as if we'd asked them to like you know uh, let us sit down for free to wait for an hour you know they yeah, it was yeah. like you know we couldn't believe it because i mean again people will probably know if they visited japan um for the most part you know customers even potential customers are treated very politely foreigners are treated extra politely Almost across the board in Japan. Um, well, will we say extra politely? I mean, uh, well, I, I think there's a few people might have some problems with that. Perhaps, perhaps, but their their attitude <laughs> stuck out for being particularly rude. Yeah, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and all we were asking was, hey, is the guy upstairs? Is he ever there? You know, it was a pretty easy question. But um, I think yeah, that must have been the second time uh, that we that we dropped by. Um, but we did finally make it, and I, I wouldn't say that I was disappointed. It was pretty much exactly what you'd expect from looking at that really old awning above, you know? Um, yeah. Narrow, very dark, um, all the handwritten menus, which I just love. I love when I go into a jazz bar and the menus are just written by hand, up, pasted up on the wall, you know? Those in the photo that you captured at least looked pretty pretty new. Um, and you can see that in the, the whole back space is pretty much a live space. It's not a stage. The musicians just stand around and all the customers sit around them on the various seats. But what really was uh, never resolved was, you know, I don't remember if you were taking pictures or not, but I started talking to the manager there. 
and uh, a guy named uh, Furukawa-san. And, and he's not the owner of the bar. Apparently, the owner is, is an older gentleman who has some sort of mental trouble. Uh, the manager didn't want to go into details about it for understandable reasons. Um, but he assured me that the bar was open. And I said, oh, that's funny. You know, we've come by a few times. And he immediately was like, no, no, no. It's open every day. I'm here at 7.30. No problem. And I just thought, okay, that's maybe jazz time again. I mean, we've run into this again and again. Yeah, we've had this a few times, haven't we, going in and trying to sort of um, ask, like you mentioned about in the uh, tonkatsu place, but often people don't really know, do they? I mean, it's quite a bit of a phenomenon generally in Tokyo. Often you go into places, if if you've ever gone in to ask for directions in like a convenience store or something like that, often the people who are working there are not from the area and they literally couldn't tell you how to get, you know, two streets around the corner. but um, yeah, I mean, getting in was—I I wouldn't say a disappointment, but I think what's interesting from the the picture with the guitars, where you can see the live space, like the majority of the places actually seems to be more like a live space. It it, it doesn't have the tables and counter space and so on that you would expect maybe uh, from a place. You know, certainly looking from the outside, it it. it I imagine it maybe to be a little more dingy um, and maybe a little more sort of uh, oriented towards like sitting and listening. But it does seem to be a live space, doesn't it, essentially? Mm. Well, I I did go back there for the Yokohama Jazz Promenade in October a couple years ago and happened to hear a a, a real swinging little guitar quartet. Um, But actually, yeah, live music is really only on there once a week. So I, I, I don't. Yeah, it's kind of mysterious. I think maybe the original owner had it operating more as a club and so they've kept the setup you know with with the piano there on the left side and the microphone stand and all of that because it's certainly only a few seats available for when you go in to have a drink um but yeah a great little spot it always it just kind of because of the darkness and the stairwell it just feels like you're you know 1 a.m. as soon as you go in there, even though we went in at about 8. That's true, yeah. I mean, what what stands out for me, I think, is those, uh, and again, I know we have a lot of audiophiles that listen to the podcast, uh, and we've had a few people in touch with us, you know, asking, are we going to focus on those sound systems? But, I mean, again, those gorgeous, gorgeous speakers, um, mm. you know, handmade, presumably uh, wooden speakers on, on either side of the flat-screen TV. But I think it's- also what stands out about that picture is just the weird mixture of you've kind of got like a a sort of a portrait there on the back wall that looks like (laughs) maybe it was done by like the daughter of someone associated with the bar then you've got these weird little i don't know are they elephants those sort of santa elephants on top of the piano well they're creepy whatever they are yeah yeah, just just that kind of mishmash that you see in a lot of japanese houses or or shops or restaurants and things like that and certainly jazz bars uh, are definitely not exempt from that kind of like uh, kitsch as well. The mm. other thing that I always think um, stands out for me is the is the picture of the records, and it, it kind of puts me in mind a little bit of the portrait of the owner of Stick that we talked about in one of our Shinjuku yes, episodes. You know, it's yes, kind of tucked right. in under a, a sort of a staircase or something like right, that. And right. I'm not sure if that's through glass or not, but um, it has that very similar feel of like no, a listening No, 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 that's, you know? that's just behind the counter where that's he makes right, the yeah. drinks. You can see all the kind of like bric-a-brac there with the bottles and the papers and already old junk. And it's just so funny because if you go back to the picture of the, of the paper menu, I mean, so you mentioned the speakers, these unbelievably beautiful hands handcrafted speakers with the great record collection 
And then you have just a basket, which you can see on the left side of that picture you have with the menus. It's just yeah. 200, 200 yen, so about $2, 2 US dollars of just random like peanuts and snacks in a little basket. And then, you know, the bottle of, you know, Glenfiddich and Glenlivet there as well. It's just the sort of weird mixture of you've got great yeah. whiskey, the great sound system, and then, oh, yeah, I'll just throw some any old random junk into a basket and sell it for $2, you know, and I'll make a handmade menu and stick it on the wall and sell canned beer for 500 yen. Uh, really, only jazz bars get away with this stuff, right? Because anywhere else they would, you know, pe- customers would just run away and be like, what a dive, you know? But the regulars yeah. here, you know, that's fine. It's what, you, I mean, we've seen that many, many times, these kind of like, you know, papers just stuck on the wall. It's like, oh, here's what I have to offer you to drink tonight. Don't ask for anything else, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, that I'd say by, by a lot of places' standards, that's a fairly extensive menu, to be fair. <laughs> but um, what's interesting as well, just if you're looking at the menu photograph, you see in the sort of the top center of the picture, there's a um, Japanese celebrity has come, obviously, to visited the place um, and signed one of these boards uh, with their signature. And if, you, if you've been to other places, not necessarily just jazz places in Japan, this is very much a thing, you know, famous ramen places, famous restaurants. If they get celebrities that come there, they have this kind of tradition of getting them to sign um, like uh, this board, you know, with their signature and maybe leave a message. And, and often you'll go to certain places that are particularly famous and they're they're displayed all across the walls. And just in terms of, we've got loads to get through this week because obviously we've got a couple of heavy hitters uh, in terms of the jazz joint world coming up. But um, just as a little side note, then let's move on to Papa John, because again, I suppose that kind of idea of having pictures of celebrities up or signatures up um is something maybe we associate with not necessarily jazz bars, but Papa John for me was one of those kind of slightly anomalous places that we went to where we even struggled to remember ourselves. And I think what stuck in my mind about it was um, the the huge selection of, of, old photographs of customers that they'd obviously very lovingly back in the day before digital cameras taken, printed out, cut them into square shapes and displayed them. And Papa John was one of those places to me that had the feel of a classic Japanese snack bar, but it just so happened to be a jazz place or the owner had a big jazz record collection. But like, had you taken out the records, it could have just as easily been one of these ubiquitous kind of like snack bars that you find all over Japan, don't you think? Oh, well, that, that's that's completely true. I mean, and even the name, like, you know, you, you, you've got the the uh, the photo of the exterior with that rather elongated bicycle. Um, and it says in Japanese, above Papa John, it says jazz and enka. Enka is kind of the mm. Japanese folk folk blues country music uh, genre, basically. And it's uh, every song is about, you know, something losing your, your woman or your man or your job and being drunk and having no money. And it's the kind of sentimental songs that people... People sing in these sn- local snack bars where they've got karaoke set up, you know, a karaoke machine. So the fact that they would even call the place, you know, jazz and enka it was re- was really curious. And yeah. then when we went in, you know, like you can see in the picture that you took, you, you, you've got the TV. The TV was on. Um, and now he did put on a record uh, when we came in. That's right. Um, and uh, but definitely with all of those photos, some of whom um, were pretty famous looking people. I'm not up on my Japanese celebrities by name, but I recognize at least five or six of the people on the wall there and so it's clearly a place that you know is well known in the noge area of yokohama um but definitely more of a of a kind of a of a snack bar vibe and you can see that from the pictures next to the next to the vinyl 
this sort of rotating circular uh, bottle holder. All of those bottles are bottle keep from regular customers. Yeah. Um, I think pe- everyone Old should Suntory remember. Whiskey, are they? I think there is it Suntory. Most of it, the top, the top yeah. shelf looks top like it's got not, some but random the things. Two but, shelves, but, yeah. um, he must have got yeah. a, he must have got a job lot on the Suntory whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, I'm not. I mean, to see that many bottle keep bottles, there's got to be a good fifty or so up there. So you would think that the bar is pretty successful. Last time I walked by, it was still open. You know. So I, I think it's a it's a fairly well known joint. Um, maybe more of interest to people who just want to like see the different side of Japanese drinking establishments and not so much jazz focused. But I mean, I really liked it still. Yeah, it's, I guess those photos. I mean, it's hard to tell from the clothes even, but I, I would imagine sort of mid eighties at, at the latest. You know, like yeah. and obviously one of those things that they kind of started back when it was new and fresh, and then mm-hmm. you know it just you run out of wall space or the will to to keep doing it, um, or or you know the place maybe just dies off in terms of its popularity or reputation or whatever, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, weird little place. But again, you know, still fits in there. It is just. Just going back to Enka, I suppose it's it's kind of similar maybe to, would it be like a Japanese version of Fado, that kind of idea of sort of loss and longing and, you know, that kind of uh, it, it sentimentality? Would, I mean, lyrically, it would, it would be like Portuguese fado, yes. Musically, yeah. n- not, not at all. Yeah, no, yeah. not at all. Musically, yeah. it's it's um well, uh, no, yeah. Musically, it's very. Uh, let's just say it appeals to uh, people who like to go to Las Vegas. How about that? <laughs> what a very if that makes very, sense. That's a very specific definition. But I mean, it, again, I think you know if you've ever wandered these kind of like nighttime alleys of of Japanese cities. Um, be it Tokyo or anywhere else, you know, you'll often hear, uh, not Fado, sorry, you'll, you'll often hear Enka kind of drifting out from these little bars, you know, uh, maybe there's a window open, but the door often is, is there's no window to look through the door. But uh, again, these little tiny snack bars, uh, you go in there, there's only five or six seats, uh, you know, you pay, pay a cover charge to sit down. Uh, often, you know, you just put your hands in, in the, um, you put yourself in the hands of the owner and, and they serve you whatever foods on that day or on that week. And, and then and, you pay and these the are, These leave. are very important, you know, I, I make fun of Enka and maybe the snack bar culture, but they're a very, very important part of the drinking culture here in Japan. I mean, they, they outnumber jazz bars by 10 to 1. And um, I, I think like, you know, Enka music has a certain sort of similar um, a, a appeal to the way jazz does in Japan, um, in the sense that it's become, you know, it, it's a music that musically is sort of, sort of sentimental schmaltzy type of country music, but there's something very Japanese about it at the same time. And I've had jazz bar owners tell me that they actually love listening to Enka and do sometimes play yeah. it in their cafes, which, you know, was a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, th- again, this is, we're looking at it from a very different context. And for the Japanese music fans, I can think it all makes a lot more sense. You know, that's why you might hear some jazz in an Enka bar and Enka in a jazz bar. Okay, so let's move from uh, from the Nogue neighborhood, which we've covered a lot. We're going to be coming back there at the end of the show today, but we're going to move into Chinatown. Now, for people who haven't been to Yokohama, uh, Yokohama has the largest Chinatown, uh, not only in Japan, but in Asia. And we visited the Marshmallow Cafe uh, there last week. 
And now right on the edge of Chinatown near Ishikawacho Station in Yokohama is maybe one of the best jazz bars in the whole city. It's called Minton House. And, uh, you know, amazingly, it was opened 45 years ago by Mr. Kawakami. And I had a great chat with Kawakami-san just a couple months ago before we went into this horrendous coronavirus lockdown uh, because um, he was being kicked out. Again, more breaking news here on the podcast. I do do my research before we record, Philip. Hope you appreciate that. It does that. seem so, yeah. I mean, I don't want to yes. give you too much credit here, um, mm. obviously, because, you know, you've got to keep your feet on the ground. But yes. I, I wonder uh, if, if somewhere the seed of the podcast maybe was sown, because I know we spoke on the phone a couple of months ago, uh, and it just so happened that when I called you, you were actually in Minton House to say your goodbyes. Uh, and I remember just suddenly the record changing and this this beautiful uh, track just starting to blare uh, behind you. And I couldn't really hear what you were saying. And it, it, it like automatic, just like that, it kind of instantly transported me back to the jazz places. And I sort of realized in that moment how much I've missed them. Uh, it's probably th- the thing that I miss most about Japan other than, you know, friends. And uh, it really kind of put me right back in there. And I wonder if that was kind of the, the motivation, maybe, as well as obviously the global pandemic, to um, to kind of get this podcast recording. Because, you know, not only are we sharing, you know, a lot of the stories behind the project with, with other people, but, you know, I think it's given us a really nice chance to reminisce on some of the places and indeed go back and kind of almost rediscover places that we had maybe forgotten about a little bit, um, you know, because it's been so long since we visited some of them. Yeah, completely. And I mean, I feel even, you know, uh, more regretful because, I mean, I live here in Yokohama, but uh, because I work in Tokyo, I generally don't get out to the jazz bars in Yokohama, maybe just twice a month on the weekend sometimes or Friday night on the way home. And so I had not been down to Mitten House in quite a while um, when I happened to see on Twitter that uh, they were going to be closing. But it was a very vague announcement. And I didn't really understand it. I thought, okay, maybe I'm I'm not picking something up with the Japanese, et cetera, et cetera. So I called the guy. Um, He remembered me. He remembered us from coming by to take pictures. And he said, oh, we are closing, but we're not closing yet. And I was like, okay, that's fair enough. Um, And he didn't get Japanese answer, isn't it, really? Very Japanese answer. So I immediately said, okay, I got to get down there. And and you're exactly right. It was just a couple months ago. Uh, It was right before the lockdown. It was a rainy, rainy night in March. And uh, you just so happened to call me. And the record, I can't believe you forgot it, man. It was John Coltrane that came on while we were talking. Yeah, it was my favorite things that came on. It was absolutely Uh. amazing. And so I was sitting there and and it was just it was just so special to to be there, you know, um, knowing that this may have been the last time and then knowing that the city might shut down in just a couple of days, you know. Um, But unbelievably, I called him uh, just yesterday because I knew we were going to be discussing the joint. And he picked up the phone and he said, yeah, I'm still here. Um, The owner is really trying to get me out. He keeps telling me to leave, uh, but I haven't found a place yet, so I'm not leaving. And so I think we've talked before about how, uh, you know, Japan uh, does a lot of things differently. And one thing they do differently in real estate is it's very hard to kick a tenant out of where they live or a shop that they are renting. Um, even if the contract's up, it's very, very hard to actually evict them. And and I've run into this quite a lot of times with jazz joints and other music bars, etc. So he's now been in the space for an extra three months. 
and there's no sign that he's leaving yet. And as you can see from the pictures, I mean, this guy has a lot of records, man. You only captured like a small bit of his record collection. It goes up to the ceiling and it goes way over to the left and right. So I'd estimate he's got about seven to 8,000 records just in the joint in addition to yeah. all the other stuff. And he's getting a little bit older. So I, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to pull off a, a move to a new establishment. And even if he did, it wouldn't have the same vibe as this one. You know, you captured the place pretty well with the pictures. It's very rustic. It's very wooden. Um, it's got a lot of books, a lot of like old photographs of jazz musicians and so, uh, another in your series of great bathroom pictures. Do you remember what the bathroom was like at Minton House? Yeah, I mean, it, it's like a, a kind of like someone's condensed a gallery into like a tiny space. I mean, it's just covered with, um, covered with with um, flyers, with um, stickers, with photographs actually. And um, I'll post some on social media that I've got on my phone as well. Um, but again, uh, right in, in the actual toilet space itself. Uh, interestingly, he's been photographed quite a few times. So there's a couple of flyers here and there um, with him. Uh, a younger iteration of himself, you know, uh, on these flyers. So he was no stranger to being photographed. But, um, yeah, the bathroom is incredible. I mean, even that down to the detail of that sort of Minton house being painted on the, the hand-washing basin. I mean, it's just well, it's a funny beautiful, because, beautiful because place. When you, look at, when you look at the photo, you, you don't even recognize it as a bathroom right away until you see the soap. And then you're yeah. like, oh, my God, that's, a, that's actually a sink. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think if you look towards the top, you might see a couple – pictures there of like a lot of people right above that uh, is another one that i believe was someone's wedding party that they actually had their that's wedding right. party mm-hmm. in i mean it's that's just unbelievably cool man. you know it's mad, imagine cramming it? 50 people in there after your wedding um but yeah it, it's it's one of my favorite spots in yokohama probably one of my favorite spots in all of japan um kawakami sound is just a great dude with an amazing collection and it's really interesting too because you know like we mentioned um he's on the right on the edge of chinatown of one of the big gates that enters into Chinatown. So it's not a big music neighborhood. Um, and yet he's been able to keep the place open. And while I was in there on my last visit, I was talking to this old dude uh, who is a regular there. And, and I asked him about that point. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is perfect because if you come to Chinatown to eat, it's a bit of a trek to get back to Nogue where all the other jazz bars are. So after eating, mm-hmm. you're automatically going to come to Minton House. So he said that that's been his ritual with his buddies for the last 40 years that they would meet up for a chinese meal and then come over to minton's and you know have a couple drinks and and you can, again you can see all the bottle keep uh, uh bottles that you captured in front of the portrait of kawanami san fantastic i mean people in japan really don't like to walk do they um you know, even even uh, if you're not walking at your speed, I mean, <laughs> like to put it into context, a real trek, we're talking sort of maybe 15, 20 minute walk there uh, for those of you who are used to walking around cities. But um, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting take on it. Uh, one of the photographs uh, from the project that's probably my favorite is that one of him standing in the doorway. Um, I don't know what he was looking for or who he was waiting for, but he headed out there anyway for some fresh air. And I just happened to to catch it um and this was pretty early on in the project again i think this was a couple of months after we'd begun so um i was lucky to capture that photograph and indeed the portrait of him uh you know it has featured pretty heavily in in exhibitions that we've done in various places um i just wanted to mention as well that the the painting of miles you know because again um, you'll see from the project uh, photographs in, in many, many places, there are a lot of these kind of 
it's almost like religious kind of um, iconography, isn't it? Like, you know, either the owners or patrons of the places have painted or photographed or designed, you know, these kind of pictures of their heroes. Um, and that's a really nice example, that, you know, that painting of Miles. But uh, it's something that, again, that you see, you know, uh, time and time again in these places. And it does just, I think, build up this idea of them as being a kind of a sacred space you know it's it's there's almost a religious reverence about them uh, oh, that's, well, that's completely true yeah because you know we, i've seen again and again on people's um whether it's their website or or their twitter or even you know the people who do have um uh, home pages for their for their bars or cafes they'll often talk about you know in japanese they'll say like you know oh the the, the temple of bill evans who is a real deity in japan yeah uh, we've we've covered miles and all the variants of the miles davis bars throughout the whole country um yeah and and, and especially considering that i think the relationship that these owners have i mean you can look at kawakami-san's picture that you took look at all these records that he has i mean clearly jazz is his religion you know most japanese people are not very religious formally in the sense that you and i understand it from the west right you know they might occasionally go to the temple or the shinto shrine but they're not really very religious but the jazz bar owners the way that they've created that space a hundred percent is is like a shrine and it's just gorgeous you know and i'm so happy i got to talk to him yesterday i'm as soon as things get a little bit uh, clearer here i'm gonna go down and, and and say hello to him again and try to figure out exactly what's happening with the owner so stand we'll by for news from, on that and say hello from me as well um and uh hopefully i'll get a chance to visit there again um before it does close or indeed move to, to a different space so talking of shrines i think it's probably time to move on to we've talked a lot about basie on the on the podcast as well but i'd say you know if you had to kind of uh, come up with a list of those iconic uh, jazz places. I, I, I would imagine some people might even argue that the next one um, tops Basie. Uh, so we're going to go to Chigas, uh, back to that uh, neighborhood of Noge, uh, quite a trek across the city, uh, also known as 20 Minutes Walk. Um, and uh, Chigas, uh, well, I mean, what an iconic place. Uh, opened, as you can see from the pictures on the site, in 19. 33 which is just astonishing in itself because again you know japan is a country of um renewal it's a country of things being very quickly knocked down um <laughs> and uh you know those of you i mean who visit any temples in japan for example you know often you go into these temples you're completely awed by them uh, they seem astonishing they seem incredibly old and then of course when you read a little bit further behind them you realize that actually in many cases they they had maybe burned down 20 or 30 years previously and what you're actually looking at is a complete reconstruction of the original and uh, it's really only two or three decades old. Now Chigusa has a, has a really interesting history so it was opened in 1933 isn't that right? It was opened in 1933 when the original owner, Yoshida-san, was 20 years old. And, um, you know, you hear a lot of stories about those times. It was almost 100% certain this was the first jazz joint in Japan. Um, and he was, you know, putting on 78 records that were being imported. Yeah. Um, now, the apocryphal story, and, and I think you and I have both heard this from various sources, was that um, during the war years when Japan became very militaristic and um, you know Western culture was degenerate, et cetera, et cetera, that um, the you know the, the the military police and the cultural police would go around and and close down these kind of places that would play Western music. So I've heard this from three separate sources and I've seen it written down as well. 
well is that he uh, took all of his records, which numbered in the hundreds by that point, and he buried them some point in the late 1930s in his garden to avoid getting, you know, not just caught and shut down, but that could have been grounds to be maybe thrown in jail or sent to the front line in China for, you know, for breaking the rules. And that the day the war ended in 1945, he dug up his records and the next day opened up Chigusa again. Now, there's no evidence that this is true at all, <laughs> but we've certainly, we've certainly heard this story enough that I like to believe that it's true because it sort of shows exactly what you were saying about Minton House and other places, how, how these jazz owners are, how committed they are, how much it's part of their life, it's their religion, it's their love. And it's just the most beautiful story. I mean, imagine the war ends, he's alive, and he digs up his records that were buried in his front garden. I mean, that's just well, beautiful. I mean, not quite breaking news, uh, you know, in, in the same way that you've uh, begun to do. But I, I did have a look around, and there's a couple of articles you can find in English about Chigusa. One particularly in the Japan Times, and we'll get on to, to what that's about in a moment. But they, they actually seem to think that he had about 6,500 records by the start of the war now. Um, what what their version of the story is that in actual fact it was bombed um, at the end of the war, Yokohama and uh, the whole place and the record collection was completely destroyed. But I don't know, James, personally, I think uh, the other version of the story is a lot more romantic and a lot more <laughs> unfitting with the project. But I think also, you know, just the fact that this guy at 20 at that time in 1933 had this sort of wherewithal and the forward thinkingness to open a jazz place is is in itself an incredible thing. I mean, without going too much into Japanese history, you know, it was it had come through the Taisho period, which was kind of a modernizing period, you know, the a lot more progressive. 20s, uh, yeah, yeah, the roaring twenties of Japan, right. Yeah, and then, you know, it was heading towards this kind of militaristic, nationalistic society that eventually, um, you know, brought uh, World War II to Japan. But, like, I, I just think, you know, to have done that back then with a gramophone mm. and 78 records in itself just is testament to the power of the music and also just how much he must have uh, been prepared to sort of break with tradition and break with the expectations of like his family and society and everything else i mean it's astonishing really absolutely epic and you always hear that he was just the sweetest dude um i've heard that story too by the way about the six thousand records and that there was the you know that, that they got bombed i mean clearly that's nonsense there was no way there were six thousand record jazz releases by the late 1930s on 78 let alone ones that he could have well, gotten this would have been 45 you know? so it wouldn't well there mm. wouldn't have been that many maybe but this mm. would have been 45 so what's mm. that 12 years worth of collecting mm. i don't know mm. but what's but what we do know for a fact is that whether he lost the collection or not or however many records he, they definitely did reopen pretty much within days uh, of the war ending yeah because you can see photos if you look in some of the old japanese jazz magazines uh that are lying around places like chigusa and other jazz cafes you you always see similar pictures from there of of the place open and and you know a couple customers and then a couple u.s soldiers sitting in there checking out the latest records or whatever that he happened to have um but yeah yoshida-san i mean he was um i mean he was a celebrity by the time he died in 1994 yeah. uh, when he was 81 years old 
And what's I'm interesting a is as well, wasn't he? Didn't he take? I think he was quite a lot of the photographs up there. Uh, you can see one actually in one of the pictures. I think of Sadao Watanabe, who's one of the sort of famous uh, alumni, and also Toshiko uh, uh, Akiyoshi as well. Um, he was a photographer and he was an artist because he drew sketches of all the musicians uh, right. that 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 used to come and hang out there. So and he knew everyone. Obviously, he knew all the Japanese uh, jazz musicians. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know Watanabe Sadao, who's probably the most famous, and and he, but he also knew all the Western musicians who would come to play and and would come and hang out there, and he would draw their portraits. And so um, it's interesting because when he died, you know, usually you think like, okay, you might get. A couple years out of a sibling or a, a son or a daughter before they close, but uh, they lasted quite a bit longer for 13 years. And then, unfortunately, uh, as we've seen so many times in Japan, uh, the real estate developers came in and couldn't care less about history or culture and uh, pretty much forced them to vacate their original shop, which was only a little bit down the street uh, from from what you see in the pictures today. Now, did um, you ever go to the original place? Were you in there? I, I went there once, and I have to say, I, I you know, it was so long ago, I didn't have, and if I did have any photos, they're long lost or they're on some, you know, uh, unviewable old flip-top camera. Um, it wasn't that that particularly different from from what you see now that's what's so yeah. incredible is that they were able to keep because you know some pl times places reopen um i think i've mentioned on the show before uh volunteer which used to be a very very old jazz kisaten in harajuku reopened in the trendy akasaka area and completely became boring it was like spotlessly clean with gleaming bottles and bright lights it was yeah. like a completely different experience um but chigusa even down to the sign you know uh, outside the shop i mean does that look like something that's only about 10 or 12 years old I yeah mean, it looks exactly like it, even the, the font that they used looked like it's a good 60 years old right so well, they well, the menu knew, the menu as well i think you know which again we've mentioned in, in a couple of other uh, episodes, you know, they, they have this huge menu and it's so large and uh, based on the record collection that you can see there from the picture that it's volume uh, one of, of at least two, uh, A to L. So um, I, I went to it once as well and I, I wouldn't have been uh, massively into jazz at the time when I was there when I first went to, to Japan and I remember going with a friend. It was like a morning, I think a holiday uh, it was sunny outside, and I just remember sitting in there on my own and thinking, wow, this is like really intense. You know, it was quiet, a bit like when you mentioned about the first time you were going into these places when you arrived as well. And you were kind of like, okay, it's, it's very quiet. And I remember distinctly filling in a little bit of paper with my request of what I wanted to listen to. And that was the only time I went to the original one. And then, uh, as you said, they, it closed in 2007, but that wasn't the end of the story, obviously, was it? No, no, because um, as often in Japan, um, there was a Chigusa uh, Appreciation Society, which is a strange translation, but I think we mentioned the uh, Jazz Cafe Exploration Society when we talked about Nefertiti yeah. um, in Chiba. Well, Chigusa had a, a, you know, a Chigusa Appreciation Society where um, a lot of the old customers um, were very upset that it was closing. And um, one of those customers was a very, very... Uh, prominent wealthy uh, company owner i believe a construction company president if i remember right so he had quite a bit of cash and he was 
able to uh, contribute a lot towards uh, basically getting all of the records and all the photographs and sketches and books and magazines from Chigusa, protecting them and moving them just a little bit down the street in Noge to a brand new spot. And not only opening the place, but they set up a rotating system at the time where different staff members, old customers would come to run the joint once or twice a week or take a morning shift or take a night shift. So when it reopened, you were never sure who was actually running the place. Now they've got like a more set system with a manager and whatnot. Um, but the fact that they were able to do that and to get it open again, and now it's every time I go by there, it's packed, man. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you're sitting like, well, bad timing now where you don't want to sit three inches from two customers right next right. to both yeah, sides yeah, of you. Yeah. But, but that's, that's you know, hopefully uh, they can reopen and maybe make a little more space or just let in 10 customers at a time. But um, yeah, last time I was in Noge, uh, they were open and they look to continue to be open. So think about that. That is 1933. I mean, 87 years. They're not going to have any problem to reach 100 years, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's astonishing when you think about it. And, you know, like, particularly in somewhere like Japan where things come and go very quickly, or certainly, you know, large cities, uh, particularly where the pace of renewal seems just sort of relentless at times. I, I know certainly from when we talk to the, the young guy that you see uh, in the portrait there, and also from having been there to the original place that, Without a doubt, the the furniture and the interior, the tables, which have a very sort of distinctive kind of tile pattern on them, uh, the ashtrays, uh, the seating and the speakers and sound system, of course, are, are from the original place. And whatever the reason that someone had the foresight to, to protect uh, and preserve all that stuff and happily, as you say, you know, two years later they were able to reopen. So, I mean, it's an incredible place. And again, baffling, I suppose, to you and I maybe, um, you know, when you think of the cultural um, history that is behind this place, that there's not more aggressive attempts to protect it by, you know, the city or the government uh, level bodies. But that's just the way it goes, I suppose. But happily, these people had the the, the uh, wherewithal and the sort of uh, passion for the place to, to kind of make it survive longer. It's just a pity that the same pattern doesn't uh, continue in other places in the country because, you know, we've already, as we've said, in a few of the podcasts, lost some fantastic places. And certainly we will focus on uh, all those places that have closed uh, since we began the project in a, in a separate episode. Mm, yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it is a little bit worrisome. Um, don't want to end today's show on, on a sad note, but I, I certainly, as I think I mentioned last week or in a couple of the programs, you know, I'll, I'll take um, every other day or so, I'll take a good 20 to 30 minutes and go through my Japanese uh, Twitter feed to check for announcements on places that have closed because of the current crisis. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's hard enough in regular times for a lot of these joints to continue. So um, at a time like this, it's borderline impossible. So it's so important, but it's also really encouraging because if they could do it with Chigusa and Downbeat was able to continue by getting a younger, very energetic owner, then a lot of the other places probably have that chance too. Um, and I, you know, not to toot our own horn a bit, but I, I think the fact that, that we did this project, that we're promoting it, that we've done the photo exhibitions, and then the fact that we're doing this podcast will help spread awareness outside Japan because we know there's a great audience for not only Japanese culture but jazz fans to this world. And maybe we can sort of, you know, do our best to 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 contribute, you know? So um Well yeah, I know for me us. certainly that you know the 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 
sort of raison d'etre of the project as a, as a documentary photographer was always uh, to preserve these places in some shape or form, uh, in this case photographically. And I suppose, you know, by adding these stories on the podcast, we're kind of hopefully enriching those stories um, as well. So, you know, if you are listening along, um, please go and have a look at the website as well. Ideally at the same time, because, you know, it'll give you much more of a flavour of the places uh, that we're talking about with the uh, visuals there as well. You can get them on tokyojazzjoints.com and then obviously on all the regular social media channels as well. Um, just a couple of little housekeeping things, James. Um, we're going to have some photographs in Record Collector magazine uh, in the June edition. Uh, there's an article there written um, about Japanese listening bars, not specifically jazz, but uh, happily we were contacted. So I've provided two or three images to Record Collector, a magazine of my youth that I used to read uh, every week uh, or every month when it came out. Um, was it the late, uh, the late 60s? Oh, very good. Um, uh, Also, maybe just a a couple of shout-outs. One is to Brad, who uh, I think is a friend of yours originally, but he's been in touch with us this week. Uh, It turns out that he is familiar... Uh, and has been many times to the bar Metronome in Cologne that we talked about in Germany last week with Benedict. Uh, so that made me even more jealous and determined oh, to make sure that's I right. go there. Brad, Brad, yes, Brad Cardi, um, great guy, American based in Dusseldorf. He's a regular listener to the podcast. So thank you very much, Brad. Um, also, um, a very, very long time jazz DJ who programs quite a few programs uh, on, on jazz radio on the web. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you guys can hook up when, when things settle down a bit, in Europe and and get down to to Munich, that would be unbelievable. And I really hope I can join you. It's funny how, um, you know, putting a podcast out there puts you back in touch with people that you haven't spoken with for a while. I got a nice message from a couple of friends, um, Alva and Mark, who are currently listening in Sydney as well. And actually, I met them um, volunteering after the the tsunami in 2011 up north. We we did uh, a week together there with Peace Boat, and uh, they're getting uh, deeper into jazz, I believe, and listening to podcasts as well. So it's great to hear that people like are listening to it in different countries all over the world. Shout out as well to Lincoln, of course, a good friend of ours, um, who's currently based in Cambodia. Uh, working with Tony and Guy out there, amazingly, and uh, hopefully he's listening as well. Uh, again, wow, big Lincoln. jazz fan. Yeah, so, you know. I mean, I, that's that's. But well, yeah, many thanks to him for putting on so many great DJ nights back in the day here in Tokyo. That's uh, yeah, that's a blast from the past for sure. Yeah. Anyway, listen, James. Um, that's us done with Yokohama. Uh, and the area kind of south of Tokyo. We haven't decided actually what we're going to uh, do next week, but we've got plenty uh, of content in the works. Uh, we, we reckon we've got at least another 20, 25 plus episodes, um, uh, all organized by different themes and geographical locations. So uh, we'll leave it as a surprise what we're going to get up to next week. But in the meantime, please go back and listen to the other episodes. Uh, if you haven't, you can find them on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts. And again, go to the project project uh, tokyojazzjoints.com or anywhere on social media at Tokyo Jazz Joints. James, in the meantime, I'm going to polish off the rest of this Orchard Thieves. What are your plans for the rest of the day? Ooh, I have got a George Benson CD that I found buried under a lot of garbage on my desk that is unopened. And uh, so I'm going to open that, pop that on, and uh, maybe pour out a little ginger ale and Finlandia vodka to take me into a nice good slumber tonight even after all this time you're you're always full of surprises (laughs) yes how shocking listening to jazz and drinking on a friday night all right james take care ciao easy